Wisdom raises her voice to all mankind. Listen, for she has trustworthy things to say. Choose her instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. She has insight. She has power. She loves those who love her, and those who seek her find her. She was formed long ages ago. The Lord brought her forth at the very beginning, when the world came to be. She was there when he set the heavens in place, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. So listen to her instruction and be wise. For those who find wisdom find life. Proverbs, Wisdom for Life, Part 3, and uh, this weekend we're thinking about wisdom-fueled financial health, wisdom-fueled financial health. And as we do that, we turn to the only prayer that appears in this book where there is so much wisdom collated, the only prayer, and interestingly, it's a prayer about money, finances, provisions. So Proverbs 30 and verse 7, and it says of this, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die, remove me Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Uh, I've been privileged to be coming to speak here at Kingsgate uh, for, for hundreds of years now. Um, when it was Kingsgate Community Church and Jack Hunt School and a college, someone's college, Arthur's College or something, and who? Mello. Arthur Mello, and I remember the chap well. And um, it, it, I've been coming here a lot, and that means I, I preach dozens and dozens of, ser- of sermons here, and I, I keep records about these things. So the story that I'm about to share with you, I told you two years ago, but I'm going to tell it to you again. I want you to pretend that you've never heard it before. And everybody said... Okay, and just, you know, just go with me in it, because it's very relevant to today's message. A few Christmases ago, Kay and I were driving out from uh, the town where we live in Colorado, headed to First Presbyterian Church in Colorado Springs for one of their Christmas events. I was speaking there. We're driving along the road, Kay and I, as we always, always do, quietly humming hymns and choruses together, my tambourine in one hand, my other on the steering wheel. You're believing me, aren't you? Uh, When suddenly we hit a rock in the road and our tire exploded and the car started to swerve, I pulled my car over to the side of the road. Praise the Lord, darling, I cried. What a joyful opportunity this is for us to demonstrate our joy in minor tribulations. Amen and amen, she said, just shaking her own tambourine very slightly. I didn't. None of this happened. I just said rats or something like that. And uh, I said, I said we, 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 our tire's flat, darling. And I said, and you know that I'm practically skillless. Um, 
any time I've ever tried to fix anything in our house, our family always gathers for a time of intercessory screaming. It never goes well. So I said, you know that if I try and change this tire, it's not going to go well. So I said, I'll just sit here and pray while you do that. No, I didn't do that. I said, let's call out the AA man. Actually, it wasn't the AA man. If we'd have called the AA man, we'd have been waiting a long time because he was 6,000 miles away. But we called out the breakdown recovery service. They said, we'll be with you, sir, in two or three days. And we sat there waiting. Actually, he said two or three hours. And finally, he arrived very helpfully. And he said, Mr. Lucas, I can fix your tire, but you've, you've um, burst your tire in a very dangerous place. I mean, I'm looking at the bloke thinking like I had a choice, you know. Oh, well, let's break our tire in a very safe place. So he said, it's very dangerous. The traffic's very fast. Could you help me by slowing the traffic down? Now, this was a challenge because I don't know about you, but I don't carry sort of temporary traffic lights with me in the back of the motor. So uh, he said, just try and slow the traffic down while I change the tyres. So I thought, okay, use your initiative, be a good boy scout. And so I wandered about 10 metres uh, this side of the car, and I be- stood at the side of the road using the international signal for slow down, which goes like this. See what? You might want to remember that for future use, should you ever break down and need to slow the traffic down. And it was really interesting to see the reactions of people. Some were quite bewildered, wondering, why is this strange-looking chap worshipping me from the side of the road? But it was more interesting was the reaction of some who got instantly irritated because I was asking for three seconds of their time. Some of them honked their horns. Some of them shook their fists. Some of them shared gesticulations unfamiliar in the Christian community. (laughs) And what it was all about was simply this. This road is mine. This day is mine. Get in my way, take my time, take my moment. I break your face. It's mine. It seems to me, ladies and gentlemen, that it's very easy to live life like that. It's mine. Me. The prevailing wisdom. He who dies with the most toys wins. Look after number one. Charity begins at home. The prevailing wisdom. In fact, as we're looking at Proverbs, a book of wisdom, let's understand that the Bible consistently teaches two two opposite forms of wisdom. James chapter 3 talks about it. There is earthly, devilish wisdom, the prevailing ideas in the culture. And James unpacks that by talking about selfishness as being a product of that wisdom. So on the one hand, you've got the way to live according to the world, according to the flesh, according to the devil, James chapter 3. And then there is another kind of wisdom, to use James's language, It's the wisdom of heaven. It is the way that God wants us to live. And the reality, the challenge that we live in this morning, today, is that God calls us to be a people who are different, not just because we sing songs on Sunday, important though that is, but we are profoundly different, to use the language of Isaiah, a beacon people, because Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we are not conformed to the image of this world. We do not live our lives according to that earthly wisdom, but we march to a different drumbeat. And when we do that, ladies and gentlemen, it's not just for our good. Let's get out of that sort of thinking. 
The early church won its world not just because of miracles and mission, but because of a lifestyle that was so radically different, specifically in the way that they handled stuff and generosity. The prevailing culture of the day, the Roman Empire, was something called liberates. Liberates worked like this. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I'll give you something if ultimately there's going to be a payoff back to me. Giving was an investment. That was the culture, the wisdom of the day. And it worked really well unless you didn't have much, like you were a widow or an orphan. But the early church shattered that culture and lived according to a heavenly wisdom. Gordon MacDonald said, In a heartless world, the generosity and service of the first Christian generations was such a stunning contrast that people everywhere sat up and took notice. Now, that's one of the reasons I'm so happy we're looking at this subject today, because so often we, the church, we, the church broadly, don't do well when it comes to talking about money. We can go silent about it. One of the things I'm grateful for about Kingsgate is that Kingsgate, as a community, we, if I can join you, in a sense, have been willing to talk about subjects that often churches don't talk about. Like prayer and fasting. You're always, every time I come here, you've got another time of prayer and fasting. It's amazing you've got any meat on your bones. I've told you before, it's a spelling mistake. It's feasting, not fasting. I'm just kidding, don't write in. But you've been willing to talk about those kind of subjects and you've been willing to talk about money. And that is so godly. Because in the Bible, there are 2,350 verses about handling money and possessions compared with 500 verses on prayer and faith. And so the Bible is very, very strong on this subject. The other thing that the church can get into is ridiculous extremes. Uh, And it's not exclusive to America, but living in America, TV evangelists who stare at the screen and invite you to touch the screen and charge that big offering to your credit cards so that you can get health and wealth. And to be honest with you, I wish it worked. I do, because I've got a few situations that I could think of right now where I'd like to bang 50 quid on the card and get it sorted. But it doesn't work. And it sells a delusion about what true prosperity is. It also needs to be said that sometimes when we come to the Bible, it can be quite confusing thinking about money. Because if you come to the Bible through Genesis, for example, you're definitely going to get the impression, as the Jews generally thought in Jesus' time, that prosperity was the result of righteousness. And so God blessed Abraham and his wealth was as a result of his faith and faithfulness. The strongest demonstration of that cause and effect idea is in the book of Job. Job's friends thought he'd lost everything including his family which was by the way a a part of his wealth because he had sinned against God. So if you come at the Bible through that angle you begin to think that, that just all wealth is because of God's blessing. If you come at the Bible through the book of Amos and some of the minor prophets, you're going to get the impression that wealth is evil and that it leads to oppression and oppression can result. My point is this. Historically, we the people of God have not always done well with this. Let's make this statement. Money is not evil. Money is neutral. The problem is not money. The problem can be us. Money is not the root of all evil. 
the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, as I go through these various things that Proverbs talks about when it comes to money management, I want to ask you to agree with me that you will allow, that I will allow the Spirit of God in the next 21 minutes and 12 seconds to collide with bad ideas that are in our heads. Anyone here ever use super glue? Raise your hand if you've used super glue. That same hand that you've just raised, has anyone here like me repeatedly glued your own fingers together while, in fact, some of you are holding joined fingers up as a result because the effects have been lingering? Let me tell you this, and I've been so challenged this week as I prepared this message. When it comes to money, bad ideas stick to us like super glue. And as I've been preparing this message, I've been trying to shake off in my own life and in my own heart, shake off bad thinking about money. And I am asking the Holy Spirit to collide with us and begin, not begin, but continue a work of replacing wherever there's earthly wisdom, God's heavenly wisdom. Are you with me in that? So there's seven points, so let's enjoy them as we share this next three and a half hours together. Number one, know the limitations of money. Know the limitations of money. The wisdom of Proverbs shows us that money is not the answer to everything. If you ask a lot of people, the proverbial man in the street, what could change their life the most, they'd possibly say in many cases, if I could just win the lottery... If I could just have millions, everything would be different. The wisdom of Proverbs shows us the limitations of money. And it does that by comparing other things with riches, like right relationships. Proverbs 15 verse 16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil right relationships, like God being primary and the most important person in our lives. The wisdom of Proverbs levels everybody. Chapter 22 too. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The wisdom of Proverbs shows us that whatever money can bring us, it is but temporary. And we need, therefore, to live life with an eternal perspective. 23 verses 4 and 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. The wise man is saying to us, this is nice but it's just for now. Wisdom being more valuable than money. So important wisdom. Chapter 8, verse 10. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies. And nothing you desire can compare with her. And then unity and and harmony. 15 and verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened off ox and hatred with it. Uh, Last night in Peterborough, in Warrington actually, we gathered, uh, some of my wider family came to join us and we celebrated my father-in-law's 80th birthday. And before we did that, 
I went out and played with my grandsons and played some absolutely stunning soccer. I had some great moves. And Stanley looked at me with amazement. He said, Granddad, you're really good. I think you could play for Chelsea. And how right and discerning he is. But when I look into the eyes of my grandsons, I see that that is where my riches are. And I would rather have gathered around that table last night with them and shared the love and the laughter and a toast to 80 years than have all the money in the world. And the wise man is saying to us, realize the limitations of money. If you place it as number one, you are giving it you are giving it an association as a God, and it's a God that cannot deliver. So money has its limitations. Secondly, money must be managed. Money must be managed. Repeatedly in this wisdom literature, we see that. My mother passed away some months ago, um, and I honor her memory, but she possibly was one of the worst cooks in the history of the culinary arts, it has to be said. It was truly hideous. Uh, does anyone remember Vesper chicken curries? Does anyone remember? Raise your hand if you remember these demonic things. And um, I, I remember my mum thought it would be rather great to cook me a curry, but my mum never read the instructions about anything. And so she cooked the curry, she, took, she cooked the rice, but you cook the rice in water. And then, I mean, I, I know this, and I can't even cremate toast. So you then have to drain the water, don't you, from the rice. But my mum didn't figure that out. So she cooked the water in the rice and then dumped the curry in the rice and the water and served it as a delicacy. I'm like, what is, what is wrong and her inability to look at instructions caused great consternation. Like when, when a concentrated washing powder came out, she never did get that. So she put the same amount of concentrated washing powder into the washing machine, which meant that like 30 minutes later, we were all up to our armpits in suds. Why is that? It's because she couldn't be bothered to take care of looking at the instructions. And I am amazed how many people treat their finances like that. They get that bill unhelpfully printed in the color red. And they toss it in the drawer. For the first 10 years of our marriage, I never balanced my checkbook. It was chaos. Never knew what we had or what we didn't have. Money, the wise man says, needs to be managed. Do not deny the problem. Faith is not about abdication. Be diligent about it. 10 verse 4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Do you know? Do you know about your finances? Are you on top of the details? Save if you can. Wisdom says to us, 21 and verse 20, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it, just eats the whole lot, never puts anything aside. And then budgeting is important as well in terms of wisdom. Chapter 27, be sure you know the conditions of your flocks. Be careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. 
Now, I imagine that you're probably not too worried about your flocks because you haven't got any. But figuratively speaking, what this is saying to us is know what you have and therefore know what you can spend. I want to suggest that buying goods of quality is suggested in the wisdom literature. In Proverbs 31, there's a whole lot of writing that most women fear because it's the Proverbs, the Proverbs woman, and most women tremble because she's sort of bionic. She sort of knits while she's washing up, while she's hoovering, while she's disciplining the kids, while she's studying for a degree with the Open University. She's thoroughly irritating. She's sort of a superhero. But one of the elements of this woman, it says she inspects property. She considers a field and buys it. I look really closely at that text. She is, she's evaluating carefully the quality and the value of something. In, forgive me if you own a pound shop, but in a pound shop era, cheapest is not always best. And wisdom says that to us. If you buy a pair of shoes for 30 pounds that will last two years, or you buy a pair of shoes for 70 pounds that will last 10 years, what is the best buying decision? Sometimes you get what you paid for. I personally come to you today as a living illustration of that. I prepared carefully to illustrate this message. Yesterday, I went for a haircut. And I went to the cheap place for the haircut. And I took my glasses off while getting their haircut. And I didn't notice the hairdresser's certificate, which was from the Apache School of Hairdressing. And I put my glasses back on. And lo, and behold, much was the wonkiness. I stand before you, therefore, today, a living testimony of buying cheap is not always buying best. What sacrifices I'm personally prepared to make in order to illustrate my messages. It's time to stop ignoring the issue. Number three. Number three, God is our ultimate source. God is our ultimate source. Chapter 10 and verse 22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. We need to affirm, the wisdom of God affirms to us that however we live... God ultimately is the source and the provider of all that we have. And you can say an amen or an amen to that. Uh, I got quite emotional during our worship time this morning because I was reflecting with Dave just before this service began that for 30 years now, Kay and I have been treated generously, but for 30 years we have not had a full-time salary from anywhere. In 1987, God called us to step out. Now, where does our income come from? It comes from various sources, including writing books, which means you should buy them. I beg you in the name of Jesus. But I got quite tearful during our worship because we sang, and I know that in other campuses this won't be as immediately relevant, but we sang that God is never going to let us down, and he never has. God is our ultimate source, and sometimes as we recognize that, he surprises us. Some years ago, when we were living in Chichester, actually, we decided we needed to sell our house and get a larger house. 
And uh, we were on the market for a year and no one came to look at our house. One day our son Richard was playing with a, with a friend from school and uh, he, was, he went to the home, really lovely home in the north of the city. We went to pick him up and we parked our car at the end of this driveway, this beautiful house with lovely trees at the end of the driveway and we were just waiting for him to come running out and I turned the car engine off and suddenly there were birds in the trees. And suddenly all the birds in the trees started to sing together. Not the hallelujah chorus or anything, just birdie stuff. And I turned to Ken, I said, listen to those birds singing. That's amazing. And she said, yes, that's what they do. And Richard came out and jumped in our car. We drove off. And uh, a couple of weeks later, um, we had this prophetic chap come from, from America didn't know any of us and we had met with him as a leadership team and he said have you got any prayer requests and I put my hand up and said yeah we're trying to sell a house and buy a house he said okay I'll pray with you about it he started to pray and then he stopped praying and he said he said hold on a minute he said God's given me a picture of a house he's going to give you and he said I can hear the birds singing in the trees and at first I thought I can hear them too pal and they're all going cuckoo He said, God says, go get that house. What do you mean God says, go get that house? I'll go over there, kick the door, and then say, get your furniture out. I've heard the birds. <laughs> a couple of days later, the estate agent phones. He said, I've got someone interested in your house. I said, bring them round. They brought this chap round. He looked around our house. I'm muttering under my breath, in Jesus' name. <laughs> he said, very nice, and left. Because... We had to sell our house and before we could buy another one. And uh, two days later, the estate agent phones him up and says he wants to come back. I said, bring him back. I'm speaking in tongues. I'm binding, loosing, rebuking. Wanted to drape a flag over his head. You know, it's like, this is the bathroom in Jesus' name. <laughs> a week before that happened, Maybe a few days, it all runs into one now. The house with the birds went on the market. My wife found out about it. She phoned the lady, she said, your house has gone on the market. She said, yes. She said, can we come and look at it now? She said, yes. We, we went round there, blue flashing light on top of the car. We looked round the house, I said, I want to buy it. She said, great, you, have not been up, you haven't even been upstairs yet. I said, I don't care, I've heard the birds. We want to buy your house. She said, you've got to sell your house by five o'clock on Friday, otherwise we're going to have to list it. We need to get, we're moving quick. Anyway, cut a long story short. I don't know why God does this stuff. We sold our house at 4.30 on Friday and we bought the house with the birds. Now listen, listen. Isn't that nuts? I'm offended by my own story. I'm going to write in and complain. Because there's a certain triviality about that. I know that there are people sitting here facing momentous challenges and I'm blithering on about a house with birds and I don't understand it. But all I know is that for the last 30 years, God has been our source and he has outdone himself. <laughs> Proverbs says, God is your source. All right, we've got three points to go. So we need another miracle. Number four. Pray for a balanced life. Pray for a balanced life. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? The Bible does not celebrate poverty. Poverty is bad. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. But riches brings challenges as well. How do you know who your friends are if, if you're rich? My best friend is a medical doctor. I always wanted to be a medical doctor. He is. My best friend, he lives in Oregon. He's really handsome, nauseatingly so. George Clooney won the most handsome man of the year, of of the universe, I think, award. And I checked the listings, and I'm not there. (laughs) My best friend is also a multimillionaire. And so for all of our 30-year friendship, he has always had a spending power that is greater than mine. But the reality is, our friendship transcends all of that. But it has at times not challenged my capacity for envy, but occasionally for insecurity, because money is power, and it gives you freedom. But wealth has got some problems as well. How do you know if your friend is really your friend? Wealth attracts many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. Pride can come in when you're wealthy. I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? And just the desire for more can create its own problems. If your desires be endless, Thomas Fuller said, your cares and fears will be so too. Pray for enough. Number five. Number five, consider motives for money making. Consider motives for money making. Don't try and keep up with the Joneses, whoever the Joneses are. Chapter 12. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant that pretend to be somebody and have no food. 13, one person pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor but yet has great wealth. Beware of covetousness. Some people think that if they just have more and in surveys, people generally say that they'd like to have approximately twice what they currently have. Realize that that will not necessarily satisfy. It's unlikely to satisfy. 2720, death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are human eyes. Schopenhauer said this, wealth is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. Consider motives for money making. Number six. Number six, how we make money matters. How we make money matters. It needs to be that we are honest in our accumulating money. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Wisdom tells us, ladies and gentlemen, beware of those get-rich-quick schemes. Wealth grows slowly. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Work hard. Work hard. 13.4, a sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Let's have integrity in our accumulation. And then lastly, with this we'll conclude. God cares about how we spend our money. You see, there's a danger. There's a danger that if we forget priorities and giving, there's a danger that even in giving that we start to think, well, this is God's and this is mine. Whereas wisdom shows us that everything that we have belongs to God. 
And therefore, we're responsible as stewards as to how we use that. That means, of course, putting God first. Look at 3 verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Tithing, giving, prioritizing, proportional giving, progressive giving. As we have a greater capacity, so we go on a greater adventure of giving. Did you know that often people who gain more start to give less proportionately? but going on that adventure of giving. And by the way, not just believing in it. Not just having post-dated commitment. Does anyone remember checks? Does anyone remember checks? Young people here, there used to be a day when we didn't just flash a card, but we actually wrote a sum of money on a piece of paper and handed the piece of paper to the person in Sainsbury's as a fulfillment of the transaction. It was like the Antiques Roadshow, I know. But it is what we did. And you could write, not in Sainsbury's, but you could write in some cases a post-dated check. Take this now, but cash it later. There's always a danger when it comes to giving of practicing post-dated commitment. Yes, I believe it. I'm going to do it in the year 2084. That which we believe we live by, all the rest is religious froth. Putting God first. And then finally, community matters. Not just thinking about ourselves, giving into our community. 11.26, the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. This is about the business person who is playing with commodities for their own gain rather than for the gain of the community. And then just general generosity. Being generous. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Here's a survey that was taken about generosity. They interviewed many people about generous practice and here's what they discovered. The more generous we are, the more happiness, health and purpose in life we enjoy. The association between generous practices and personal well-being is strong and highly consistent across a variety of types of generous practices and measures of well-being. Second, we have excellent reason to believe that generous practices actually create and enhance personal well-being. The association between generosity and well-being is not accidental or spurious. It's in the paradox of generosity. Profound conversion of heart produces generosity says Gordon MacDonald. And of course, that includes giving to the poor. I love this statement in Proverbs. How do you lend money to God? By giving to the poor. Chapter 19, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. So we see that the way we spend, the way we gather and accumulate, is not a compartment that God wants us to seal off away from him. To do that will cause us to end up in fear. But rather, is a part of our whole lives that we offer to him. Two ways of wisdom, earthly, devilish, God's way. God help me, God help you to live according to his wisdom. Let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you because your word is practical. And it speaks to the way that we think, the way that we live. It speaks to our earning. It speaks to our spending. It speaks to our giving. There is a way that we can live which is your way. We also recognize, Lord, that we live surrounded surrounded by a bombardment of messages in advertising that overwhelm us at times with a value system that is contrary to your kingdom way. And we try and get this, Lord, but like superglue, negative messages and worldviews attach themselves and stick to us and we struggle to shake them off. We are asking for nothing less than not just a recalibrating of ideas, but a whole shifting of how we do this. We pray especially for those who are struggling at the moment financially. And for whom fear is a daily experience. And we ask you to draw close to them and show yourself as provider. We ask you to help them to forsake the shadow lands of fear. 